What a service it has been. My heart is full of joy and thanksgiving to God for how he has met with us, and I am eager to preach the gospel today from Luke chapter 4, and I'd like to invite you to please turn there with me. Luke chapter 4, as we continue our series through this glorious gospel according to Luke. Our passage today contains what some have called one of the most underappreciated and neglected events in the life of Christ, which is his temptation in the wilderness. To this day, Satan comes against all humanity with a thousand lies and a thousand deceptions and a thousand temptations. And there is only one man in all of history who has proved victorious. Our sermon title is Christ's Triumph Over Temptation. Luke chapter 4, we'll look at these first 13 verses, and I'd like to invite you to please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. Jesus has just been anointed with the Spirit in his baptism. Luke 4 verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus Answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He then took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. May God bless the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Everyone loves a good showdown, uh, a great conflict, a battle between good and evil. It's one-on-one, the rivals hate each other, and the stakes are high. Of course, what I have in mind is Rocky IV, 
there is a man known as the Siberian Express, the Siberian bull and death from above. His name is Ivan Drago. The cold, ruthless, and apparently superhuman Russian Olympian and champion who killed Apollo Creed in an exhibition match. Rocky, you may remember, decides to fight Drago on his own Soviet turf on Christmas Day in order to avenge Apollo's death. So he basically does what any one of us would do in that situation. He travels to Russia, he grows an epic and manly beard, and he trains in the mountains where he's lifting rocks and pulling a sleigh and chopping wood until he is ready to take on the enemy. It is a long and drawn out battle in which Rocky withstands Drago's blows and eventually in the 15th and final round defeats Drago by KO. In Luke 4, what we have in this passage is an even greater battle. It is a cosmic battle that goes all the way back to the garden. In fact, Luke puts the genealogy that we saw last week at the end of chapter 3. He puts that genealogy where he does in part because he wants us to see the connection and contrast between Adam and Jesus when tempted. And so the very last verse of chapter 3 ends with that reference to Adam. Uh, This passage that we have today is also a reenactment of the temptation of Israel in the wilderness, which is reinforced where Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy and the 40 days that he was there in the wilderness, echoing the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. Adam was the son of God who failed in the garden The nation of Israel is also, it's interesting, referred to as the the son of God in Exodus 4. They failed in the wilderness as well. But in the fullness of time, Jesus came. He came as the second Adam. He came as the new and better Adam. He came to wage war against the evil one, to overthrow the kingdom of Satan, and to destroy the works of the devil. In fact, in a sense, all of history, which is captured in that genealogy at the end of chapter three, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to David, all of history has been moving toward this showdown, this great cosmic battle between these two representatives. Ever since Genesis 3.15, God declared that there would be enmity between the serpent and the woman and between their offspring. And that's the battle that we see here. There is no battle that is more relevant to our daily lives than the one that happens between Jesus and Satan. Because in this battle, we see Jesus Uh, revealed as a great champion. We see Satan and his schemes against us are thwarted and we learn how to triumph in the face of the devil and temptation as we look to this savior. J.C. Ryle says that we, in this passage, we encounter the power and unwearied malice of the devil. Yes, we do. That's what we are encountering here in this passage. 
the power and unwearied malice of the devil. He is aggressive. He is unrelenting. He is subtle in his tactics. And we know that from our own lives. I hope you know Satan remains active in the world today. He is the slanderer. He is the deceiver. He is the accuser. He is the greatest enemy of God and of his people. He's described in Revelation 12, 9 and 10 as that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, the accuser of our brothers. Who is Satan? He is the deceiver of the whole world. He is blinding the eyes of those who do not trust in Christ. And he is the accuser of those who are followers of Christ. He accuses us by bringing our guilt before us. He deceives people about the character of God. Blinding people to the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the devil embodies all that is evil. He embodies all that is wrong with the world. All that stands opposed to God and his Christ in this world has a leader and his name is Satan. And here's the, here's the thing. Sometimes you see Christians who will sort of dismiss and minimize the power of Satan. I fear that, that the power of Satan is often far greater than we give him credit for. We sing this, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. You guys do a great job whenever we sing that, not getting too excited and joyful. You know, on earth is not his equal. We're not singing about God there. We're singing about Satan. And so we don't want to respond with too much uh, energy and joy at that particular point. But this is who Satan is. Make no mistake about it. He is cunning, powerful, sophisticated, and relentless in his efforts to, to draw people away from God. It's what he's doing in the world today. He, he leads us into confusion. He leads us into unbelief. He leads us to doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God. He seeks to undermine the authority of the word of God in our hearts and in our lives. This battle in Luke 4 could not be more relevant to our lives. And here's the thing. It's a battle that is not initiated by Satan. It's initiated by God. Christ came into the world to fight this ancient foe, to triumph over him, and to reverse the damage he has done. And, and when Christ came into the world, Satan knew that his whole empire was under attack. That his long reign on earth was being threatened by the arrival of this Son of God. Jesus has been led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he will face Satan and be genuinely tempted by Satan. And we too, when we look at our lives, realize that we face every one of these temptations. But where we 
waver and fail, Jesus succeeds. Jesus triumphs. Wasn't that a word earlier that there is a moral report card that every one of us has received? It's the F. But Jesus alone is the A. He has succeeded where we have failed and in union with him, we have victory so that we don't need to live every day with the F of failure over our lives because in union with him, we have victory and we have power to resist the devil and to resist temptation. In this passage, we see a triumph over three temptations. First, the temptation to doubt God's goodness. And every one of these temptations, I trust you can relate to. The temptation to doubt God's goodness. This was that first temptation to, stern, to turn stones to bread there in verses three and four. Jesus, we are told, has done an extended fast. He did not eat in the wilderness. He was not reliant during that time upon his divine power but fasted as one of us would. He was far more hungry than I have ever been. And notice, here's something about Satan's tactics. Satan often comes after us when we are vulnerable, when we are tired, hungry, weak. That's when he strikes. And Satan says that if Jesus is the son of God, he should use his power to turn stones to bread. He should turn stones to bread rather than trust God to supply his needs. So what is the temptation here? It is the temptation to doubt the goodness and the provision and the care of God. Satan always aims at our faith. He, he seeks to undermine our confidence in the character of God. And this is the same tactic that he used in the garden in Genesis 3. Can God's word really be trusted? Does God really have your best interest in view? The same issue of hunger was there for the Israelites in their temptation in the wilderness. It's a remarkable parallel of that account. Read Exodus 15 through 17. In Exodus, in Exodus 16 is where we read the whole congregation of the people grumbled in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said, it would have been better to die in Egypt, but you've brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Thanks a lot, Moses, bringing us out here to die. We had it so good in Egypt, they said. And in the face of their sin... God demonstrated his gracious character and provided manna from heaven. See, we have all grumbled against the Lord. We have all failed to trust and obey God from Adam to the Israelites to you and me. And now here in Luke 4 comes this moment and if, if Jesus turns a stone to bread, to, to satisfy his hunger on his own, he would join the rest of humanity in doubting the goodness and faithfulness of God. And so Jesus responds by 
quoting what God said to the Israelites in the wilderness, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, the Lord your God let you hunger that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How do we live? What does it mean to truly live? To truly live is to trust in God and to rely on his word. He will never fail you and his word will never fail you. And in quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, Jesus is saying, while we do need food, we don't need food alone. We also need to trust God. We also need to trust in his word because this is life for our souls. There is more to life than the daily provision of food. And we must never put the desire for good things like food above obedience to God, above trust in the Lord. Friends, where in your life, where in your life are you most tempted to doubt the goodness and the care of God for you? It may be some trial or difficulty you face. It may be some good thing that you desire that you don't have. And perhaps you've started to wonder. Perhaps you have started to doubt. Friends, when Satan comes to you and says, God doesn't care about you, so you need to look out for yourself, when he comes to you and says God is not good, when he comes to you and casts doubt upon the character of God, friends, remember how God has shown his goodness in giving his son for you. He has demonstrated his provision. He has demonstrated his love. He has proven his character. And therefore, you can wait for his provision. You can trust in his timing. You can refuse to doubt his goodness. God loves you with an everlasting love. God is for you and he is with you. Trust in him and resist every temptation to doubt his goodness, to doubt his care, to doubt his provision. The second temptation is the temptation to pursue worldly power. Verses five through eight present the temptation of power and glory apart from suffering. It is ultimately the temptation to avoid the way of the cross. This too was a temptation for Jesus. Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, perhaps a vision, and says to him, I will give you all this earthly power and authority if you worship me. Now we need to understand here, when man fell into sin, the world that God created was good in the beginning, the way the world was supposed to be. But when man fell into sin, the fall affected this world greatly. And in that moment, God sovereignly handed over temporarily the earthly domain to the devil without in any way relinquishing his own sovereignty. Uh, this is why Satan is called, John 12, 31, the ruler of this world. That's what Jesus calls him. The God of this world. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4. The prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, verse 2. In 1 John 5, 19, it says this, concerning the authority of Satan, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He is the ruler of this world, and as the book of Revelation explains, all of the political institutions and kingdoms of this world are, in a sense, related to his tyrannical rule. Satan doesn't have the authority to give that to whomever he wants, but it has been given to him to rule over the earth for a time. And Satan says to Jesus, you can just bow your knee once and it's yours. Satan, sa Satan basically says, I think we'd make a good team. Jesus, you are out here in the middle of nowhere. The son of God here in the wilderness, possessing nothing, you could have it all. You can meet the expectation that people have for a political deliverer, freeing people from Roman rule. In a moment, there could have been the most powerful kingdom the world has ever known, and Jesus would rule over them. But he would do so under Satan. And sin and death would remain in the world. Jesus responds from Deuteronomy 6. You shall worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. You see, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. One day Jesus will rule in all the earth. And oh, how we long for that day. But his reign will not be established by political might, but by the cross and by his return. We, we face this same temptation to pursue worldly power and to abandon the way of the cross, to abandon the way of Christian suffering, to abandon the way of Christian character. There is the temptation to pride, the temptation to status-seeking, the temptation to riches. People say, you hear this, we are king's kids, which means we can have all the wealth and power and healing that we want here and now. And you see people, Christians, tempted to pursue influence and political power using the methods of this world. They say, well, if our opponents can do it, then we can do it too. Jesus was offered authority over all the kingdoms of the world and he rejected it in favor of the cross. And Christians today must walk and live as Jesus did. I thank God that though many Christians have failed this test of relating to power and the kingdoms of this world, that here Jesus succeeded. That here Jesus once again triumphed and was faithful to trust in the plan of God. Third, the temptation to test God's protection. Three temptations recorded here. The third one is this temptation to test God's protection. This is in verses 9 through 12. They travel through uh, to the temple in Jerusalem. Perhaps they are transported 
there, Jesus is then at a great height. Uh, It is a fall that people would not survive. And Satan says, throw yourself down from here. And now, oh, this is interesting. Satan is the one saying, for it is written. (laughs) For it is written, and he cites two verses from Psalm 91 regarding God's protection. So Satan is trying his hand at expository preaching, and the sermon is every bit as bad as you would think it would be. Psalm 91 is a psalm that speaks not to the absence of physical suffering, but to our spiritual preservation. And what Satan does, he, he quotes verse 11 and verse 12 of Psalm 91, but he is misusing the text. He's using the text as a means to tempt God. And perhaps most importantly, he leaves out the very next verse in Psalm 91. There is deep irony here because the very next verse in that Psalm, verse 13, says, the serpent you will trample underfoot. Which is an allusion to Genesis 3.15 and the defeat of Satan. So, Satan, you want to talk about Psalm 91? Jesus will obey and fulfill Psalm 91 in ways that are your worst nightmare. He doesn't know what he's doing with the text. And the temptation here is to to test God regarding his faithfulness and his promises. It is the temptation to manipulate God and to put God to the test rather than Trust in the Lord rather than obey the Lord, come what may. This would essentially, there was one commentator who put it this way, this would put a gun to God's head and say, work now in this way. And we are at times tempted to demand miraculous protection, to to demand proof of God's care rather than take God at his word. And if Jesus did this, he would be saying, I don't trust God to take care of me, so I'm going to demand miraculous protection. I'm going to put God in a situation where he operates on my terms and in my timing. Instead, Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then that verse in Deuteronomy 6 continues, as you tested him at Massa. And that is a reference to, and I do encourage you to read this, to the event recorded in Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, where the people wrongly tested God. They were grumbling. They were demanding water, which led to Moses striking the rock. And they tested the Lord by saying, Exodus 17, 7, is the Lord among us or not? Imagine it. That's what they said in the wilderness. After all that God did, and after all the ways he showed himself to be present, is the Lord among us or not? To demand that God prove his presence and prove his protection would be an expression of unbelief. It is presumptuous. We must not say, I'm not going to believe God for something unless he does this for me. Here's what the Lord would say to that. 
He would come to us in gentleness and in his great patience and say, have you forgotten what I have already done? My child, what more could I say? See, we don't need to test God's faithfulness and love and care for us because he has already proven it once for all in his son. Is God faithful? Can I, can I trust in the Lord no matter what comes my way? These are the questions we wrestle with and oh, how often we waver through unbelief, but God is patient and God is forgiving. And here in Jesus, we see one who perfectly trusts God's promises, one who faithfully obeys God's commands at every point, one who victoriously triumphs over the powers of darkness and evil. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He is proving the promises of God. He is saying God can be trusted. He is reliable. He is faithful. He is proving the faithfulness of God. And Jesus triumphed over the devil and triumphed over temptation that we too might share in his victory. You see, the, this battle in the wilderness is the initial overthrow of Satan's reign. Jesus fought and Jesus conquered the devil for us. You're not strong enough to go up against Satan and temptation on your own. You say, I'm not strong enough. Correct. You're not strong enough. We have failed again and again. But friends, Jesus is greater. And Jesus enters the fight for us. And what Jesus started in the wilderness, he finished at the cross. In his death, all of our many failures in the face of temptation have been forgiven by God. And because the ruler of this world has no claim on him, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus ascended to heaven where he intercedes for us today and gives us power to resist the devil and to triumph over temptation. And when Jesus returns, Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire and Satan will have no power whatsoever in this world. Sin and temptation will be no more and we will praise heaven's champion for the victory that he has won. That day is coming. This is heaven's champion who has triumphed over temptation, who has triumphed over every enemy. James 4-7 says to us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Christian, don't say, I can't help but to give in to temptation. The Spirit of God who empowered Jesus is available to us today. And we have the same authoritative and sufficient Word of God by which we too can say to Satan and to every doubt that comes our way, it is written, God has said, Every answer we need to every temptation we face is found in the word of God. And so you are, you are going into this week armed 
with the shield of faith. Ephesians 6, 16, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You're going into this week armed with the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. It is written. You have this authoritative word. And through our union with Christ, we have the victory in the one who has triumphed over Satan and temptation. I'd like to invite the band to return as I close. One more thought. In Hebrews 4.15, it references the very real temptation of Jesus during his earthly life and ministry. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so in Hebrews 4.16 Here's what this means for us today. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Three temptations Jesus faced in the wilderness involving provision and power and protection. And this glorious and majestic Savior did what you and I could never do, and he was victorious over them all. Oh, brothers and sisters, praise God for a savior who triumphs over temptation. Praise God for a savior who has won the victory over Satan and is reclaiming all that was lost in Adam and empowers us to live for him until he returns. Praise be to the second Adam. Praise be to the champion of heaven. Praise be to the only savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen.